Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 40 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. On to the news about the MLB lockout, and once again, it's probably not the best news that you've heard today. Representatives from Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association met again today, Thursday, February 17th. The meeting in question lasted 15 minutes. That's it. (laughs) The entire point of this meeting was for the Players Association to submit a proposal. But, after 15 minutes, I think it's pretty clear how well the proposal went. So, once again, it seems that little progress has been made since last week. The proposal submitted today had the Players Association kind of easing off of their request for salary arbitration for all players with two-plus years of service time, and instead requested this for just 80% of the players with the same amount of service time. The players also requested an increase in the pre-arbitration bonus pool from $100 million to $115 million, which, by the way, was $100 million more than the league just offered in their last offer to the Players Association. Here's the thing, though. Spring training camps were scheduled to open this week, and exhibition games are scheduled to get underway at the end of the month. There is still no word on the fate of the start of the regular season. Many players, and of course fans, are heavily encouraging the owners to just lift the lockout to give players at least some time in spring training while the details are ironed out for the new collective bargaining agreement. But as of right now, no such deal has occurred. So, as we near the, well, hopeful start of spring training, I'll cover the happenings of this lockout and just keep you guys updated on everything in the hopes that we still get a regular start to the regular season. Anyway, on to the rest of the podcast, where today, we're going to talk about the American League East. We're right back to where we left off, talking about the best players from each team in the American League East, starting with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays, just like the Arizona Diamondbacks, were part of the most recent MLB expansion in 1998, when the two teams were added and began play. Since then, the Rays have gone through a name change, as they were once called the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and have made it to the playoffs seven times, into the World Series twice, once in 2008 and again in 2020. In the past 24 years, the Rays have actually retired two numbers, Wade Boggs and Don Zimmer. Now, although only one of them played for the Rays, it was just for a single season, Wade Boggs was still... Wade Boggs still got his number retired. Boggs recorded... Now, you may be wondering why he got his name retired by the Rays. And it's actually just because he recorded the first home run in team history, and he recorded his 3,000th hit with the Rays at the age of 41. So, a lot of his milestones came when the Rays were still relatively new. Don Zimmer never actually played for the Rays, but he was a senior advisor for 11 years for the team, so of course they had to retire his name as well. 
Besides these two, however, I think one player really stands out in my mind when I think of the Rays. A third baseman going into his 15th season in the MLB, who was a huge part of the Rays organization over the years. Of course, I mean Evan Longoria. Longoria was picked in the first round as the third overall pick in the 2006 MLB June Amateur Draft, and within two years, he worked his way all the way up to the big leagues. Longoria burst onto the scene in 2008 during the Rays' first World Series push and became one of the hottest rookies out there. In 2008, Longoria earned his first of three All-Star appearances and won Rookie of the Year over Alexi Ramirez and Jacoby Ellsbury. Longoria finished the regular season with 122 hits and 27 home runs as well as 85 RBIs and a 272 batting average, which, by the way, is very good for your rookie season. In his 10 years with the Rays, he earned three All-Star Game appearances, three gold gloves, a silver slugger, and he was in MVP talks in six different seasons. Top it off with 261 home runs and 1,471 hits in a Rays uniform, and you get a pretty impressive 51.2 war, the best in the history of the Tampa Bay Rays. Some honorable mentions of this team come in the form of Carl Crawford, Ben Zobrist, and Kevin Kiermeyer, but I feel that Longoria still takes the cake in his 10 years with the team. Next, let's move on to the second youngest team in the division, the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have been around for 45 seasons, starting in 1977, and have appeared in the playoffs eight times and won it all twice, back-to-back, in 1992 and 1993. And in that time, they have seen an unbelievable amount of talent. But I think it all really boils down to two players. The right-handed starter, David Steeb, and the Colorado native, Roy Halladay. Steve played 16 years in the MLB, recording 15 of the 16 with the Jays. And in that time, he became one of the most consistent pitchers in the history of the team. Steve retired with a 566 overall win-loss percentage and a 342 ERA. He threw 2,873 innings with the Blue Jays, of which he led the American League and the Major Leagues twice, in 1982 and 1984. Actually, Steve had a knack for facing a thousand plus batters every single year, as well as collecting 103 complete games and 30 shutouts. Roy Halladay continued this trend, leading the league in innings pitched four times in his career, three of which were with the Blue Jays. Halladay finished his career with the Jays with a 3.43 ERA and a pretty impressive no, very impressive, 661 win-loss percentage, recording only 76 losses in his 12 years in Toronto. And for that reason, I think I have to give the honors to Roy Halladay. Even though arguably some of his best years were with the Phillies after he left Toronto, he was still unbelievable with this squad. Although Halladay only won the Cy Young Award once with the Blue Jays, he was a close runner-up four other times from 2006 to 2009. Not only that, but he was elected to the All-Star Game six times. 
definitely worthy of the number one spot. The third team that I want to talk about is the 119 season old New York Yankees, who still hold the record for the most World Series championships at 27 and the most playoff appearances at 57. Now, this is definitely going to be the most difficult one, as an unbelievable number of Hall of Famers, 27 in fact, which is the most of any team, by the way, once showed off their talent in New York for the Yankees. I mean, we're talking about guys like Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Derek Jeter, Yogi Berra, I mean, just to name a few. But no matter how good these players were in their primes and in their careers, none of them could surpass my number one all-time, Babe Ruth. Now, I won't talk about Ruth to a great extent, as I dedicated an entire podcast on him a little bit ago. So, if you want to hear more about Babe Ruth and the creation of one of the greatest stars in the history of baseball, I highly recommend going to check that out. But otherwise, let me give you a quick rundown of his career stats. Ruth played 22 years in the MLB, 15 of which were with the Yankees. In those 15 seasons with the Yankees, Ruth hit 659 home runs, 2,518 hits, and 1,978 RBIs, all while collecting a 349 batting average. I feel it's impossible to explain just how good Ruth really was. But on the other side, I feel that it's impossible to discount any of the others that I listed earlier. I mean, Gehrig, Mantle, DiMaggio, Jeter, Barra, and more all had unbelievable Hall of Fame careers. I mean, just thinking about these guys makes me want to do some sort of Yankees-specific episode to highlight the achievements of this team over the years. So, yeah, maybe take a look out for that. Next, let's move on and talk about the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox have been around for 121 seasons, raking in 25 postseason appearances and 9 world championship rings despite the curse of the Bambino that lasted from 1918 until 2004, an 86-year gap. But even in those 86 years, some real stars tried to do everything that they could to break that streak. Two of these guys, Ted Williams and Carl Yastrzemski, did so much, they even made the Hall of Fame. In his 19 seasons with the Red Sox, minus the three years that he was deployed during World War II, Ted Williams became one of the greatest consistent hitting outfielders to play the game, and one of the most powerful hitting outfielders of all time as well. Ted Williams was an all-star 19 times and won the Triple Crown twice to go along with his two MVP awards. His six batting titles showed off his impressive career hitting stats as well, with 2,654 hits, 521 home runs, 1,839 RBIs, and a career 344 batting average, which, by the way, is 11th on the all-time list. Carl Yastrzemski, who, by the way, is the grandfather to the current San Francisco Giants young phenom, Mike Yastrzemski, I feel is important to bring up here as well, Because he too was such an incredible hitter, with 3,419 hits 
and 452 home runs in his 23-year career with the Red Sox, which earned him an MVP award, a Triple Crown, 18 All-Star appearances, and three batting titles as well. These two are so evenly matched, besides Yastrzemski's 285 career batting average, that both were voted into the Hall of Fame on their first try. Regardless, however, I still think that Ted Williams takes the cake for one big reason. He still has the MLB record for on-base percentage at 482. To put that into perspective, Williams was able to reach base, either from a hit or a walk or a hit-by-pitch, in almost half, almost 50% of all of his at-bats in his career. I mean, that is some truly insane stuff. And finally, we move on to the Baltimore Orioles, where again, I think there's only one option that really defines the best of all time criteria. The three-time World Series champion Baltimore Orioles have been around for as long as the Red Sox, all 121 years between Milwaukee, St. Louis, and their current home, Baltimore. And, among all 121 seasons, I believe that Cal Ripken Jr. is the best Oriole of all time. Now, again, much like the rest of the teams mentioned on this list, there is plenty of incredible talent in the history of the Orioles organization. I mean, guys like the hard-hitting third baseman Brooks Robinson, or 286 career ERA Jim Palmer, are good examples of this point. But what Cal Ripken did, not only for Baltimore, but the sport of baseball, is enough to put him into the number one spot on this all-time list. I mean, much like Babe Ruth, I've made an episode specifically on Cal Ripken Jr. Actually, as a matter of fact, I believe the first ever episode of Painting the Corners was about Cal Ripken Jr. And here we are 39 episodes later, and we're still talking about the Orioles' all-time shortstop and third baseman. Some career stats on Ripken include 3,184 hits, 431 home runs, and a career 276 batting average, as well as an MLB record 2,632 consecutive games played, breaking Lou Gehrig's all-time record on September 19, 1982. The true Iron Man of the sport proved that MLB players were capable of breaking such a record starting every game and making a Hall of Fame career out of it. And, in 2007, with 98.5% of the votes, Ripken did just that, and his name is now cemented into the halls of Cooperstown forever. So there we go. That was a look at the best players from each team in the American League East, headlined by Evan Longoria, Roy Halladay, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, and Cal Ripken Jr., it's quite a class of some of the best baseball players ever to take the field. So, in next week's episode, we'll move right along into the American League Central, where we'll talk about the Cleveland Guardians, the Chicago White Sox, the Kansas City Royals, the Minnesota Twins, and the Detroit Tigers. Just another division where I can already tell it's going to be impossible to pick the best of the best. Thank you for listening.